This week, we went through a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, a prime minister in another country being removed, and math textbooks being banned because they apparently contained critical race theory. You're listening to Politics Schmolitics, and this is the week of 4 17 2022. Hello, everyone. I hope you've been having a nice couple of weeks. Spring started, we've been through a lot. Passover ended recently, Easter was a couple of weeks ago, Ramadan started, and Eid is next week. So it's, a, it's been a pretty eventful spring so far. And let us begin. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Supreme Court? Um, Justice Stephen Breyer was going to step down from a seat onto the Supreme Court as soon as someone was confirmed to be a successor. And it was strategic that he chose to step down at the time where he did, because midterms are coming up, and it doesn't seem likely at all that Democrats are going to be able to keep their paper-thin majority in the Senate. And it's already 50-50, and they only have one tiebreaker who is the vice president. Now, while Biden was still just a candidate, while he was still one of the people who could just possibly be nominated to take on the current president, Trump, he had made a pledge that he would confirm the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Previously, we went through the three possible choices, and let us quickly review them. We had Judge Michelle Childs, who received her law degree from a public university, setting her apart from the other possible nominees, and that's something that she could relate to with the general population that no other possible nominee. Senator Lindsey Graham had also said that wouldn't it be something if the first black woman on the Supreme Court was from South Carolina, the state which he represents, and he made it pretty clear that he supported her. Now, Lindsey Graham, he's a big name in the Republican Party, and he's a big name in politics in general, and he could have influenced others around him. Plus, with such a historic moment coming up, no one wants the next nominee to be confirmed without any support from the opposing party. The next potential nominee we had talked about was Justice Leandra Kruger of the California Supreme Court. She was the youngest person in a century to be confirmed to the California Supreme Court, and she used to be the assistant to the U.S. Solicitor General. And what the U.S. Solicitor General does is they argue cases before the Supreme Court. And she herself was able to argue for the Supreme Court 12 times. Finally, we have Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Judge, Judge Jackson previously worked with Justice Breyer, the justice who is stepping down, and she's worked in numerous federal positions, and she was nominated and confirmed in 2019 to the D.C. Circuit Court, and that is often regarded as the second most powerful court in the nation. Now, each of these judges, they're all very well qualified, but at the end of the day, Biden went with Kentaji Brown-Jackson. Now, from there, it isn't just a smooth ride. Now that she was nominated, she was going to have to go through some confirmation hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, committee that's made up of 22 senators that run these hearings. Now, these hearings are ma- they're mainly used for members of the committee to question the nominee on previous cases that they've judged. They can question them about their thoughts on ongoing political issues and these issues that are bound to end up in the Supreme Court, like their thoughts on abortion. And nominees usually have attacks taken at their reputations while they're going through all of this. Now, during these hearings, we had Josh Hawley, 
grilling Judge Jackson about a case where she had sentenced a defendant to less time than the federal guidelines had called for. So basically, she sentenced someone to less than what the benchmark was set out by the government. And the same person went on to commit the same crime again later. And really, what Josh Hawley wasn't addressing was the fact that many Republican judges had also sentenced under the federal guidelines. It's not like she was the only one, and it's not like it was a repeating issue where she did this every single time. There were also a lot of questions asked to her about whether she had a judicial philosophy. There were also moments where she was criticized for her work as a public defender. So essentially, she worked defending people who couldn't afford afford a lawyer, and she was questioned on her work with representing high-profile criminals. We, of course, had our fair share of critical race theory in these confirmation hearings, and Ted Cruz, who was questioning Judge Jackson's view on books such as Anti-Racist Baby, he was asking her about pages in the book that said babies are either taught to be racist or taught to be anti-racist, and there's no neutrality. And Ted Cruz had also asked her whether she thought it was appropriate that this was being taught from grade kindergarten to second grade. And instead of, you know, it ending out that he lowered the book's impact, he actually boosted the sales by over 5,000%. All in all, she was confirmed to the Senate with 53 votes consisting of all the Democrats and three Republicans. And Lindsey Graham, who voted to confirm her to the D.C. Court of Appeals, didn't vote to confirm her to the Supreme Court. Was he sour that Biden didn't pick Michelle Childs? We haven't really done this before, at least as far as I can remember, but today we're going to be taking a dive into another country's ongoing political issues, specifically Pakistan's political issues. Now, compared to the U.S., Pakistan is a relatively new country. It's only had its independence from the British for around 75 years, and for half of its history, the military has been ruling it. Now, Pakistan's military is one of the largest in the world, and it plays a large part in Pakistan's politics. Now, moving on. Imran Khan was a former international cricket star, and cricket, it's a sport similar to baseball. And he was a former cricket star, and in 1996, he decided to go into politics. And he created his own political party, the PTI, Pakistan Tehrike Insaf, and it means the Pakistan Movement for Justice. Now, Khan's party took some time for them to find their footing in Pakistani politics, but, and before, it was just these two big parties, the PPP, Pakistan's People's Party, and the PML, Pakistan's Muslim League. And it was mainly just these two parties who were dominating Pakistan's politics. And these two parties sort of had a monarchy because there were these families that ruled these parties, and the parents ruled the parties, and then their children went into politics, and so on and so on. So once Imran Khan's party started gaining seats, he made it more like a three-party game, something we don't have in America. Another thing that's a bit different is that in Pakistan, the political party that has the most seats in parliament is the party that gets to have their president in office. It's not like in the U.S. where you can win the presidency but still not have a majority in Congress. 
Now, Han has been in office for a bit under four years, and he'd provided food and health care for the poor, and he'd taken on corruption, and Pakistan is a, it's a pretty corrupt country. And he also handled the coronavirus very well. But at the same time, he was he was sort of elected at the wrong. He was sort of he was sort of became the president at the wrong time because the coronavirus hit economies globally, and the war in Ukraine was really raising fuel prices. And Imran Khan's support was it was based off the educated middle class and the opposition. The opposition leaders they were sort of farming people's extreme dislike off the current scenarios. They weren't really explaining to these people how all of these global events occurring were contributing to all of these issues. They were just trying to add gasoline to the fire. And eventually, it even got to the point where members of Han's own party left, and they started calling for him to be removed from office as well. It also didn't help that the military, the main force that had got him into office, they'd also stopped their support for him. Now, with the opposition, they knew that they had enough votes to take Khan out of office. They obviously took advantage of that. They attempted to hold a no-confidence vote, which is, it's like an impeachment in America. But what happened was that the deputy speaker uh, of parliament, he rejected the no-confidence vote. Once he rejected this no-confidence vote, Imran Khan then dissolved parliament. So he basically fired every member of Congress, and he dissolved his government as well. And so, really, there was no government ruling Pakistan, and he was calling for early elections. Now, you may be thinking, isn't this a bit counterproductive? I mean, the other party succeeded in removing him from office either way. But what the other party really wanted, they didn't just want to unseat him. They wanted to have one of their own in his seat. Now, Imran Khan started this sort of conspiracy that the U.S. wanted to unseat him. And there was a letter written by Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asian Affairs. And this letter, it was was supposedly threatening Khan if this no-confidence vote didn't succeed. Now, whether this letter is actually real or whether maybe it is real, but maybe Khan is just extremely over-exaggerating it, we don't know. He hasn't made it public to the general population, and the U.S. denies the letter completely. But Khan, on the other hand, claims that they wrote it in, in retaliation, in opposition to him meeting with Putin the same day Russia invaded Ukraine. Either way, the Supreme Court of Pakistan, they got involved and they ordered the no-confidence vote to continue either way. And Khan and his party, they tried to stall it for as much as they could. But in the end, a military helicopter paid a visit to Khan. And from there on, things sped up. And Khan became the 22nd Pakistani president to not complete their term. And uh, no Pakistani president in the history of Pakistan's political history has ever managed to complete their term. So it's not like Khan's an odd one out. It's it's happened to literally everyone else. And from there, Parliament elected Shabazz Sharif to complete the remainder of Khan's term. And uh, Shabazz Sharif's brother was actually the Prime Minister of Pakistan three times. And his the name of his brother was Nawaz Sharif. And he was removed three times. But he came back into power every single time. So really, what's stopping Khan from doing the same? Well, folks, that was pretty much it for this week, but I still do have one more weekly roundup. 
The Florida Department of Education has rejected 41% of all math textbooks. Why, you ask? Well, because of critical race theory and social-emotional learning. Now, we've talked about critical race theory before. Um, we had an episode around July of last year. And critical race theory is essentially looking at the way racism in the history of the U.S. still lasts until today and how this nation typically doesn't favor racial minorities as it would to a white person. Conservatives around the country have really twisted the real meaning into something that's more like critical race theory teaches that all white people are racist or that critical race theory makes children hate the color of their own skin. Now, due to such obstructed meanings being acknowledged nationwide, we have schools, parents, and governments taking action justifying them by saying it's critical race theory when it really isn't. The latest example we have is in math textbooks themselves. The state of Florida released photos of some of the math problems in the textbooks that had caused them to ban the books. And one of the problems was centered around people taking a racial bias test. And it had the results and it had graphs. And one of the graphs had the results separated between age groups and the other graph had the results separated between political identification. So it wasn't like, oh, are you Democrat or are you Republican? It was whether you're extremely liberal or whether you're extremely conservative and everything in between. Now, to say that this is critical race theory, I mean, it's false. It's just looking at racial bias between different groups doesn't even address the races of the people who took the test, doesn't say which part of the country they're from. It, it's, it really doesn't even tell you which country they're from, actually. So, essentially, they're just using critical race theory as a scapegoat. And folks, that was pretty much it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to join our mailing list. All you need to do is send an email to politicsmolitics2020 at gmail.com. You can also use that email to send me feedback. Feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to make this podcast bigger and also give me feedback. And also feel free to spread the word about this podcast with your mom, dad, uncle, cousin, sister, really anyone. You were listening to Politics Schmaltics, and this was the week of 4 17 2022.